Part Four, Chapter Seven to Nine of Doctor Doolittle's Post Office. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Doctor Doolittle's Post Office by Hugh Lofting. Part Four, Chapter Seven: A Mysterious Letter. We are now come to an unusual event in the history of the Doctor's Post Office, to the one which was perhaps the greatest of all the curious things that came about through the institution of the swallow mail on arriving back at the houseboat from his short and very busy holiday the doctor was greeted joyfully by the push me pull you two two cheapside and speedy the skimmer king coco also came out to greet his friend when he saw the arrival of the doctor's canoe through a pair of opera glasses price ten shillings and sixpence which he had recently got from london by parcel post and the prominent Van Tippins, who had missed their afternoon tea and social gossip terribly during the postmaster's absence, got into their canoes and followed the king out to the foreign mail's office. So for three hours after his arrival, in fact until it was dark, the doctor did not get a chance to do a thing besides shake hands and answer questions about how he had enjoyed his holiday, where he had been and what he had done. The welcome he received on his return, and the sight of the comfortable houseboat, gay with flowering window-boxes, made the doctor, as he afterwards said to Dab-Dab, feel as though he were really coming home. Yes, said the housekeeper. But don't forget that you have another home, a real one, in Puddleby. That's true, said the doctor. I suppose I must be getting on to England soon. But the Van Tippins were honestly pleased to see us, weren't they? and after all africa is a nice country now isn't it yes said dab-dab a nice enough country for short holidays and long drinks after supper had been served and eaten and the doctor had been made to tell the story of the pearl fisheries all over again for the benefit of his own family circle he at last turned to the enormous pile of letters which were waiting for him they came as usual from all parts of the world from every conceivable kind of animal and bird. For hours he waited patiently through them, answering them as they came. Speedy acted as his secretary, and took down in bird and animal scribble the answers that the doctor reeled off by the dozen. Often John Doolittle dictated so fast that the poor skimmer had to get Tutu, who had a wonderful memory, to come and help listen so nothing should be missed through not writing it down quick enough. Toward the end of the pile, the doctor came across a very peculiar thick envelope, all over mud. For a long time, none of them could make out a single word of the letter inside, nor even who it was from. The doctor got all his notebooks out of the safe, compared and peered and pored over the writing for hours. Mud had been used for ink. The signs were made so clumsily they might almost be anything. But at last, after a tremendous lot of work, copying out afresh, guessing and discussing, the meaning of the extraordinary letter was pieced together, and this is what it said. Dear Dr. Doolittle, I've heard of your post office, and am writing this as best as I can, the first letter I ever wrote. I hear you have a weather bureau in connection with your post office, and that a one-eyed albatross is your chief weather 
prophet i am writing to tell you that i am the oldest weather prophet in the world i prophesied the flood and it came true to the day and the hour i said it would i am a very slow walker or i would come and see you and perhaps you could do something for my gout which in the last few hundred years has bothered me a good deal but if you will come to see me i will teach you a lot about weather and i will tell you the story of the flood which i saw with my own eyes from the deck of noah's ark yours very truly mudface p s i am a turtle at last on reading the muddy message through the doctor's excitement and enthusiasm knew no bounds he began at once to make arrangements to leave the following day for a visit to the turtle but alas when he turned again to the letter to see where the turtle lived he could find nothing to give a clue to his whereabouts the mysterious writer who had seen the flood noah and the ark had forgotten to give his address look here speedy said john doolittle we must try and trace this let us leave no stone unturned to find where this valuable document came from first we will question everyone in the post office to find out who it was delivered it well everyone in turn the push me pull you cheapside tutu quip the carrier all the swallows any stray birds who were living in the neighborhood even a pair of rats who had taken up their residence in the houseboat were cross-examined by the doctor or speedy but no one had seen the letter arrive no one could tell what day or hour it had come no one could guess how it got into the pile of the doctor's mails no one knew anything about it it was one of those little post office mysteries that are always cropping up even in the best-run mail systems the doctor was positively heartbroken often in his natural history meditations he had wondered about all sorts of different matters connected with the ark and he had decided that noah after his memorable voyage was over must have been a great naturalist now had come most unexpectedly a chance to hear the great story from an eyewitness from someone who had actually known and sailed with noah and just because of a silly little slip like leaving out an address the great chance was to be lost all attempts to trace the writer having failed the doctor after two days gave it up and went back to his regular work this kept him so busy for the next week that he finally forgot all about the turtle and his mysterious letter but one night when he was working late to catch up with the business which had multiplied during his absence he heard a gentle tapping on the houseboat window he left his desk and went and opened it instantly in popped the head of an enormous snake with a letter in its mouth a thick muddy letter great heavens cried the doctor what a start you gave me come in come in and make yourself at home slowly and smoothly the snake slid over the window sill and down on to the floor of the houseboat yards and yards and more yards long he came coiling himself up neatly at john doodle's feet like a mooring rope on a ship's deck pardon me 
But is there much more of you outside still? As the doctor. Yes, said the snake. Only half of me is in yet. Then I'll open the door, said the doctor, so you can coil part of yourself in the passage. This room is a bit small. When at last the great serpent was all in, his thick coils entirely covered the floor of the doctor's office, and a good part of him overflowed into the passage outside. Now, said the doctor, closing the window, what can I do for you? I've brought you this letter, said the snake. It's from the turtle. He is wondering why he got no answer to his first. But he gave me no address said john doolittle taking the muddy envelope from the serpent i've been trying my hardest ever since to find out where he lived oh was that it said the snake well old mudface isn't much of a letter writer i suppose he didn't know he had to give his address i'm awfully glad to hear from him again said the doctor i had given up all hope of ever seeing him you can show me how to get to him why certainly said the big serpent i live in the same lake as he does lake junkanika you're a water snake then i take it said the doctor yes you look rather worn out from your journey is there anything i can get you i'd like a saucer of milk said the snake i only have wild goat's milk said john doolittle but it's quite fresh and he went out into the kitchen and woke up the housekeeper. "'What do you think, Dab-Dab?' he said, breathless with excitement. "'I've got a second letter from the turtle, and the messenger is going to take us to see him.' When Dab-Dab entered the postmaster's office with the milk, she found John Doolittle reading the letter. Looking at the floor, she gave a squawk of disgust. "'Oh, it's a good thing for you, Sarah, isn't it?' she cried. Just look at the state of your office. It's full of snake. Chapter 8 The Land of the Mangrove Swamps It was a long but a most interesting journey that the doctor took from Fantippo to Lake Junganika. It turned out that the turtle's home lay many miles inland in the heart of one of the wildest, most jungly parts of Africa. The doctor decided to leave Gub-Gub home this time, and he took with him only Jip dab-dab tutu and cheapside who said he wanted a holiday and that his sparrow friends could now quite well carry on the city deliveries in his absence the great water snake began by taking the doctor's party down the coast south for some forty or fifty miles there they left the sea entered the mouth of a river and started a journey inland the canoe with the snake swimming alongside it was quite the best thing for this kind of travel so long as the river had water in it. But presently, as they went up it, the stream grew narrower and narrower, till at last, like many rivers in tropical countries, it was nothing more than a dry bed of a brook, or a chain of small pools with long sandbars between. Overhead, the thick jungle arched and hung like a tunnel of green. This was a good thing by daytime, as it kept the sun off better than a parasol and in the dry stretches of river-bed where the doctor had to carry or drag the canoe on homemade runners the work was hard and shades something to be grateful for at the end of the first day john doolittle wanted to leave the canoe in a safe place and finish the trip on foot 
but the snake said they would need it further on where there was more water and many swamps to cross as they went forward the jungle around them seemed to grow thicker and thicker all the time but there was always this clear alleyway along the river bed and though the stream's course did much winding and twisting the going was good the doctor saw a great deal of new country trees he had never met before gay-colored orchids butterflies ferns birds and rare monkeys so his notebook was kept busy all the time with sketching and jotting and adding to his already great knowledge of natural history on the third day of travel this river-bed led them into an entirely new and different kind of country if you have never been in a mangrove swamp it is difficult to imagine what it looks like it was mournful scenery flat bog land full of pools and streamlets dotted with tufts of grass and weed tangled with gnarled roots and brambling bushes spread out for miles and miles in every direction it reminded the doctor of some huge shrubbery that had been flooded by heavy rains no large trees were here such as they had seen in the jungle lower down seven or eight feet above their heads was as high as the mangroves grew and from their thin boughs long streamers of moss hung like gray fluttering rags the life too about them was quite different the gaily colored birds of the true forest did not care for this damp country of half water and half land instead all manner of swamp birds big-billed and long-necked for the most part peered at them from the sprawling saplings many kinds of herons egrets ibises grebes bitterns even stately anhingas who can fly beneath the water were wading in the swamps or nesting on the little tufty islands in and out of the holes about the gnarled roots strange and wondrous water creatures things half fish and half lizard scuttled and quarrelled with brightly coloured crabs for many folks it would have seemed a creepy nightmarey sort of country this land of the mangrove swamps but to the doctor for whom any kind of animal life was always companionable and good-intentioned it was a most delightful new field of exploration they were glad now that the snake had not allowed them to leave the canoe behind for here where every step you took you were liable to sink down in the mud up to your waist jip and the doctor would have had hard work to get along at all without it and even with it the going was slow and hard enough the mangroves spread out long twisting crossing arms in every direction to bar your passage as though they were determined to guard the secrets of this silent gloomy land where men could not make a home and seldom ever came indeed if it had not been for the giant water-snake to whom mangrove swamps were the easiest kind of travelling they would never have been able to make their way forward but their guide went on ahead of them for hundreds of yards to lead the way through the best openings and to find the passages where the water was deep enough to float a canoe and although his head was out of sight most of the time in the tangled distance he kept in the worst stretches a firm hold on the canoe by taking a turn about the bow post with his tail and whenever they were stuck in the mud he would contract that long muscular body of his with a jerk and yank the canoe forward as though it had been no more than a can tied on the end of a string dab-dab tutu and cheapside did not of course bother to sit in the canoe 
they found flying from tree to tree a much easier way to travel but in one of these jerky poles which the snake gave on his living toll line the doctor and jip were left sitting in the mud as the canoe was actually yanked from under them this so much amused the vulgar cheapside who was perched in a mangrove tree above their heads that he suddenly broke the solemn silence of the swamp by bursting into noisy laughter <laughs> lord bless us doctor did you get yourself into some comical situations who would think to see john doolittle m d eminent physician of puddleby on the marsh being pulled through a mud swamp in darkest africa by a couple of hundred yards of fat worm you've no idea how funny you look oh close your silly face growled jip black mud from head to foot scrambling back into the canoe it's easy for you you can fly through the mess it'd make a nice football ground this murmured cheapside i'm surprised the africans haven't took to it i didn't know there was this much mud anywhere outside of Hampstead Heath, after a wet bank holiday i wonder when we're gonna get there seems to me we're coming to the end of the world or the middle of it haven't seen an human face since we left the shore he's an exclusive kind of gent our mr turtle ain't he meself i wouldn't be surprised if we ran into old noah sitting on the wreck of the hark any minute help the doctor up jim look he's got his chin caught under a root the snake hearing cheapside's chatter thought something must be wrong he turned his head end around and came back to see what the matter was then a short halt was made in the journey while the doctor and jip cleaned themselves up and the precious notebooks which had also been jerked out into the mud were rescued and stowed in a safe place do no people at all live in these parts the doctor asked the snake none whatever said the guide we left the lands where men dwell behind us long ago nobody can live in these bogs but swamp birds marsh creatures and water snakes how much further have we got to go asked the doctor rinsing the mud off his hat in a pool about one more day's journey said the snake a wide belt of these swamps surrounds the secret lake of junganika on all sides the going will become freer as we approach the open water of the lake we are really on the shores of it already then yes said the serpent but properly speaking the secret lake cannot be said to have shores at all or certainly as you see no shore where a man can stand why do you call it the secret lake asked the doctor because it has never been visited by man since the flood said the giant reptile you will be the first to see it we who live in it boast that we bathe daily in the original water of the flood for before the forty days rain came it was not there they say but when the flood passed away this part of the world never dried up and so it has remained guarded by these wide mangrove swamps ever since what was here before the flood then asked the doctor they say rolling fertile country waving corn and sunny hilltops the snake replied that is what i have heard i was not there to see 
Mudface the turtle will tell you all about it. How wonderful! exclaimed the doctor. Let us push on. I am most anxious to see him and the secret lake. Chapter 9 The Secret Lake During the course of the next day's travel, the country became, as the snake had foretold, freer and more open. Little by little the islands grew fewer and the mangroves not so tangly. In the dreary views there was less land and more water. The going was much easier now. For miles at a stretch the doctor could paddle, without the help of his guide, in water that seemed to be quite deep. It was indeed a change to be able to look up and see a clear sky overhead once in a while, instead of that everlasting network of swamp trees. Across the heavens the travelers now occasionally saw flights of wild ducks and geese winging their way eastward. That's a sign we're near open water, said Dab-Dab. Yes, the snake agreed. They're going to Junganika. It is the feeding ground of great flocks of wild geese. It was about five o'clock in the evening when they came to the end of the little islands and mud banks and as the canoe's nose glided easily forward into entirely open water they suddenly found themselves looking across a great inland sea the doctor was tremendously impressed by his first sight of the secret lake if the landscape of the swamp country had been mournful this was even more so no eye could see across it the edge of it was like the oceans just a line where the heavens and the water meet ahead to the eastward the darkest part of the evening sky, even this line barely showed, for now the murky waters and the frowning night blurred together in an inky mass. To the right and left the doctor could see the fringe of the swamp trees running around the lake, disappearing in the distance north and south. Out in the open great banks of gray mist rolled and joined and separated as the wailing wind pushed them fretfully hither and thither over the face of the waters my word the doctor murmured in a quiet voice here one could almost believe that the flood was not over yet it's only ply sign it came cheapside's cheeky voice from the stern of the canoe give me london any day in the worst fog ever this is bloomin hill's country look at them mist shadows skating round the lake might be old Noah and his family playing ring-a-ring-a-rosy in their nightshirts. Where that life, Mike? The mists are always there, said the snake. Always have been. In them the first rainbow shone. Well, said the sparrow, I'd sell the whole place cheap if it was mine, mists and all. How many hundred miles of this bonny blue ocean have we got to cross before we reach our Mr. Mudface? Not very many, said the snake. He lives on the edge of the lake a few miles to the north. Let us hurry and try to reach his home before darkness falls. Once more, with the guide in front, but this time at a much better pace, the party set off. As the light grew dimmer, the calls of several night birds sounded from the mangroves on the left. Tutu told the doctor that many of these were owls, but kinds that he had never seen or met with before. Yes, said the doctor. I imagine there are lots of different kinds of birds and beasts in these parts, 
that can be found nowhere else in the world. At last, while it was still just light enough to see, the snake swung into the left and once more entered the outskirts of the mangrove swamps. Following him with difficulty in the fading light, the doctor was led into a deep, glady cove. At the end of this, the nose of the canoe suddenly bumped into something hard. The doctor was about to lean out to see what it was, when a deep, deep bass voice spoke out of the gloom quite close to him. Welcome, John Doolittle. Welcome to Lake Jananika. Then, looking up, the doctor saw on a mound-like island the shape of an enormous turtle, fully twelve feet across the shell, standing outlined against the blue-black sky. The long journey was over at last. Dr. Doolittle did not at any time believe in traveling with very much baggage, and all that he had brought with him on this journey was a few things rolled up in a blanket, and, of course, the little black medicine bag. Among those things, luckily, however, were a couple of candles, and if it had not been for them, he would have had hard work to land safely from the canoe. Getting them lighted in the wind that swept across the lake was no easy matter, but to protect their flame Tutu wove a couple of little lanterns out of thin leaves through which the light shone dimly green but bright enough to see your way by. To his surprise, the doctor found that the mound or island on which the turtle lived was not made of mud, though muddy footprints could be seen all over it. It was made of stone, a stone's cut square with a chisel. While the doctor was examining them with great curiosity, the turtle said, They are the ruins of a city. I used to be content to live and sleep in the mud. But since my gout has been so bad, I thought I ought to make myself something solid and dry to rest on. Those stones are pieces of a king's house. Pieces of a house? of a city the doctor exclaimed peering into the wet and desolate darkness that surrounded the little island but where did they come from from the bottom of the lake said the turtle out there mudface nodded toward the gloomy wide stretching waters there stood thousands of years ago the beautiful city of shalba don't i know when for long enough i lived in it once it was the greatest and fairest city ever raised by men and king mashtu of shalba the proudest monarch in the world now i mud-faced the turtle make a nest in the swamp out of the ruins of his palace ha ha you sound bitter said the doctor did King Mashtu do you any harm? I should say he did, growled Mudface. But that belongs to the story of the flood. You've come far. You must be weary and need of food. Well, said the doctor, I am most anxious to hear the story. Does it take long to tell? About three weeks would be my guess, whispered Cheapside. Turtles do everything slow. Something tells me that story is the longest story in the world, Doctor. Let's get a nap and a bite to eat first. We can hear it just as well tomorrow. 
so in spite of john doodlittle's impatience the story was put off till the following day for the evening meal dab-dab managed to scout around and gathered together quite a nice mess of fresh-water shellfish and tutu collected some marsh berries that did very well for dessert then came the problem of how to sleep this was not so easy because although the foundations of the turtle's mound were of stone there was hardly a dry spot on the island left where you could lie down the doctor tried the canoe but it was sort of cramped and uncomfortable for sleeping and now even there too the mud had been carried by dab dab's feet and his own in this country the great problem was getting away from the mud when noah's family first came out of the ark said the turtle they slept in little beds which they strung up between the stumps of the drowned trees ah hammocks cried the doctor of course the very thing then with jips and dab dab's help he constructed a very comfortable basket-work hammock out of willow wands and fastened it between two larger mangroves into this he climbed and drew the blanket over him although the trees leaned down toward the water with his weight they were quite strong and their bendiness acted like good bed-springs the moon had now risen and the weird scenery of Janganika was all green lights and blue shadows as the doctor snuffed out his candles and jip curled himself up at his feet the turtle suddenly started humming a tune in his deep bass voice waving his long neck from side to side in the moonlight what is that tune you are humming asked the doctor that's the elephant's march said the turtle they always played it at the royal circus of shaba for the elephant's procession let's hope it hasn't many verses grumbled cheapside sleepily putting his head under his wing the sun had not yet risen in the gloomy waters of lake Junganika before jip felt the doctor stirring in his hammock preparing to get up presently dab-dab could be heard messing around in the mud below bravely trying to get breakfast ready under difficult conditions next cheapside grumbling in a sleepy chirp brought his head out from under his wing gave the muddy scenery one look and popped it back again but it was of little use to try to get more sleep now the camp was astir john doolittle bent on the one idea of hearing that story had already swung himself out of his hammock and was now washing his face noisily in the lake cheapside shook his feathers swore a few words in cockney and flew off his tree down to the doctor's side look here doctor he whispered this ain't an awesome place to stay at all i'm all full of cramp from the damp night air you'd get web-footed if you loitered in this country long listen you want to be careful about getting old mr mudface started on his yarn spinning you know what he reminds me of them old indian war veterans once they begin telling their reminiscences there's no stopping em he looks like one too with that long scrawny neck of his tell him to make it short and sweet just to give us the outline of his troubles like see the sooner we can shake the mud of this place off our feet and make tracks for fantippo the better it'll be for all of us 
well when breakfast had been disposed of the doctor sharpened his pencil got out a notebook and telling tutu to listen carefully in case he should miss anything he asked the turtle to begin the story of the flood cheapside had been right although it did not take a fortnight to tell it did take a very full day slowly and evenly the sun rose out of the east passed across the heavens and sank down into the west and still mudface went murmuring on telling of all the wonders he had seen in days long ago while the doctor's pencil wiggled untiringly over the pages of his notebook the only interruptions were when the turtle paused to lean down and moisten his long throat with the muddy water of the lake or when the doctor stopped him to ask a question on the natural history of antediluvian times dab dab prepared lunch and supper and served them as silently as she could so as not to interrupt but for the doctor they were very scrappy meals on into the night the story went and now john doodlittle wrote by candlelight while all his pets with the exception of tutu were already nodding or dozing at last about half-past ten to cheapside's great relief the turtle pronounced the final words and that john doolittle is the end of the story of the flood by one who saw it with his own eyes for some time after the turtle finished no one spoke even the irreverent cheapside was silent little bits of stars dimmed by the light of a half-full moon twinkled like tiny eyes in the dim blue dome that stretched across the lake away off somewhere among the tangled mangroves an owl hooted from the swamp and tutu turned his head quickly to listen dab dab the economical housekeeper seeing the doctor close his notebook and put away his pencil blew out the candle at last the doctor spoke mudface i don't know when in all my life i have listened to a story that interested me so much i'm i'm glad i came i too am glad john doolittle you are the only one in the world now who understands the speech of animals and if you had not come my story of the flood could not have been told i'm getting very old do not ever move far away from Joninika. would it be too much to ask you said the doctor to get me some souvenir from the city below the lake not at all said the turtle i'll go down and try to get you something right away slowly and smoothly like some unbelievable monster of former days the turtle moved his great bulk across the little island and slid himself into the lake without splashing or disturbance of any kind only a gentle swirling in the water showed where he had disappeared in silence they all waited the animals now for the moment reawakened and full of interest the doctor had visions of his enormous friend moving through the slime of centuries at the bottom of the lake hunting for some souvenir of the great civilization that passed away with the flood he hoped that he would bring a book or something with writing on it instead when at last he reappeared wet and shining in the moonlight he had a carved stone window seal on his back which must have weighed over a ton lord bless us 
muttered cheapside what a wonderful piano mover he'd make to be sure great carter patterson does he think the doctor's gonna hang that on his watch chain it was the lightest thing i could find said the turtle rolling it off his back with a thud that shook the island i had hoped i could get a vase or a plate or something you could carry but all the smaller objects are now covered in fathoms of mud this i broke off from the second story of the palace from the queen's bedroom window i thought perhaps you'd like to see it anyway even if it was too much for you to carry home it's beautifully carved wait till i wash some of the mud off it the candles were lighted again and after the carvings had been cleaned the doctor examined them with great care and even made sketches of some of them in his notebook by the time the doctor had done all his party excepting tutu had fallen asleep it was only when he heard jip suddenly snore from the hammock that he realized how late it was as he blew out the candles again he found that it was very dark for now the moon had set he climbed into bed and drew the blankets over him end of part four chapter nine